Hey everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International and author of a number of books on training, innovative training methods used throughout the world. In today's huddle, we're going to talk about success in coaching, and we're talking about coaching competitive athletes. Before we get into it, I want to clarify the, the, the word success. Obviously, it's not always the scoreboard, but for today's discussion, we're going to use that as a measurement. When I say it's not always about the scoreboard, there are many times in an athlete's career, especially in the, in the multi-year periodization of an athlete, where the scoreboard should not be the criteria for success. But having said that, we're going to operate on the, the basis of win-loss, which won't apply to athletes at all stages. And I'm going to say from the outset that my expectation in coaching is to have a win-loss record of in excess of 80%. That, for me, is the definition of success in, in competitive sports coaching. And some might say, you know, it's, that's not sustainable, and I say it is very sustainable, especially in the environment which I believe we're in now where there's such low expectations on, on winning. So just get the, the coach's input on this. To start with, what are the, what are the expectations that you're seeing with other coaches uh, around the world, different levels, different sports? What's their expectation on their own win-loss record? I'd suggest that it's pretty low. Uh, I believe they have an expectation that to win a lot more than they probably do. However, the actual execution of that uh, is very low. So what's some of the statistics you're seeing, Mitchell, in sport? What, what's some of the win-loss records of coaches you've been exposed to? Uh, it's very, com- very common these days to, to have coaches somewhere between the 45 and 60% win-loss ratio. Uh, that's considered, in, in many sports and disciplines, uh, I don't, know if they, I don't know if they publicly say it's acceptable, but based on people retaining positions in sport, you'd have to, you'd have to conclude that it's, that it's acceptable. And I, I think the bar has been sliding for about the past 10 years. I think 10 years ago it wouldn't be acceptable, these different, uh, such a low standard, whereas today, I mean, we've had national coaches in different sports at less than 50%. So, yeah, it's, it's on the way down. Yeah, I certainly agree with the observation. Any other input from other coaches on what they've seen as far as the records of coaches and expectations on this? I think um, I think it's part of their belief, their belief patterns. I think very few coaches actually believe that they've got a stated goal that um, they're looking to win, but their belief in that would be pretty shaky. Um, you hear a lot of reasons behind that being anything from injury rates to uh, uh, coaching challenges to personnel challenges. Uh, again, it's just it's their belief in, in what's happening there. Their belief in what they're going to be doing probably equates to that of pulling a roulette wheel. There's a lot of a lot there. I mean, the injuries one alone is a, is a topic in itself. And I even suggest that some of them set up the injury patterns to give themselves an out. Any other coaches with some input there? I appreciate that, Mike. Similar to what Mike's saying about the belief and and the roulette wheel is there is no guidance for a lot of these coaches. It's it's whatever they experienced in their past, whether it was a winning culture or not. And and it ends up being a, a resort to pushing the athlete harder, work harder, we must be doing something uh, that we're not working hard enough, so we have to do more, push harder, and that's when you, you typically see those injuries come out too. Whenever I hear an athlete, it's after a game, especially after a losing game, say we've just got to go back and 
work hard on this or work harder, it's, it's a scary one for me. What about you, Carl? Got any observations on expectations of coaches and the winless rec- records? Yeah, very good point about the three-year cycles. That's, that's, again, a topic in itself. So next question I've got is where do coaches learn how to succeed in sport? What we've basically identified is that if your coaches have a win-loss in the 60s, they're probably considered an exceptional coach in, the, in today's market, where for me that's, um, that's not good enough. And In fact, I, I know of one sporting culture where they sacked the coach at 82%. It shows that their standards are very high, uh, but that's rare. So there's a lot of coaches in the world coaching in different sports, different levels. Where do coaches or do coaches learn the the keys to success in coaching? I think you you use the words where do coaches learn. Whether or not they think they learn or not, everything is learnt on this planet that we do. So it is a learnt behaviour, whether they succeed or fail. We've concluded that most of them have, from this perspective, a relatively low... Um, win-loss ratio, and I'd suggest that they learn from the people that they were assistants to and the people who influence them, their past coaches, and the current paradigm in the club they're at. It's very common these days for, for coaches to go into a, a setup, particularly in a team sport environment. They don't have any control of the other people in the environment. That in itself is, is quite a challenge, but the people going to those positions aren't often wanting to do the best and their highest and best good, they're simply wanting a position. And when your focus is on feeding yourself instead of serving the needs of others, um, you, you, what you learn and what you pass on is going to be heavily diluted and watered down. So the old committed versus involved, and I agree, majority of people involved in sport are, are committed to, to being involved, not committed to necessarily being successful, and that's why many programs are in, uh, unsuccessful. Any other input on where do coaches or do coaches learn the keys to success? Sure. I'd say now it's more academic than ever, so you have to have yay many letters up your name, which is fine, but if you've only done your learning through a textbook or learning from other people who haven't actually applied it, they're just teaching it without actually having experience and definitely not success. So they may have held positions in these fields, but like I said, they haven't actually had that high level, high percentage of success is the blind leading the blind. So I think that's the, the biggest challenge. And now they're setting up resource, um, centres everywhere of excellence, etc., in a wide array of sports with the science as the backbone and the key, and yet they don't have the, the basic grasp of coaching. It's interesting. Yeah, that's a very good point, the shift towards science, and I suggest that that's a path for failure. I've been around a while. I've worked with a lot of... Um, High performance coordinators, etc., and I've never, I've never worked with 
let's just say I've worked with a lot of people with PhDs and I've never met one who I consider would, would succeed in coaching themselves. If they were the head coach, they would not succeed in coaching. So I agree with your, your comment. Is you don't learn coaching success from someone who learned it from a textbook or from a course. Any other input on where and if coaches learn key success? Because you've all been around coaches, heaps of them. Uh, likely a lot of the, the hyped up marketing. So somebody may have written a book or is a coach of coaches or something, but it would be all based on their marketing, not necessarily their, their experience of winning. Excellent point. But I tell you, uh, how much fun do you get sitting beside a sporting event watching watching effort go to waste? It kills me. I just know whether it's just me or whether there's anyone else who who struggles and it hurts to watch. Things I've ever experienced. So, sorry, Ryan? It's one of the most painful things to experience to see someone just get, have the effort and the tools and everything's there and and, it, and it's going to waste, as you can see, the, the culture of the team or the coach, the way they're being treated is inappropriate and hurting them physically, typically, those kinds of things. It's painful. So I watch multiple sporting yeah. events every single week, and all I do is experience... Um, you know, it's very rare that I, I watch something and say, this is fun. Sorry, was that you, Mike? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up a point about... The, uh, the models of learning for a lot of these coaches are, are so much the what to what it is in within the fitness industry, where you'll go to a convention and, and you'll have a um, kind of what's new, what's trending type of convention, and everyone will follow those those methods or those um, those tactics in coaching. So it, it varies so much from year to year. There's no there's not enough consistency. There's not enough refinement. Um, in the in the process, because people keep jumping from one thing to the next, it's probably within the top five percent of, of all of coaching that you'll see uh, the patience to implement something, refine it, develop it, and, and have it be successful. So there's obviously a number of things there that I've, I've just mentioned, but I, I just thought that it's a very interesting parallel to uh, to what's happening in basically the world today. That's a great point, Michael. I was just looking at a, a marketing piece for an upcoming convention in America there, and those words were, were just dominant in the marketing piece in terms of trendy and latest. What's new? You know, who's doing... Learn the latest techniques, etc., etc. So, you know, is the keys to success in coaching something that, that was uh, present years ago, or is it just something that just you can only learn at the next convention? Yes. Similar to a title like that, I mean, the traits of succeeding and, and people doing well in any endeavour have been around since day dot, and they'll be around forever as well. Uh, people that go to the latest seminar to learn the latest thing, it's fantastic for us. It just makes our job so much easier. So true. So true. So it, I think most coaches are, are really, um, I don't know whether, you know, blindly in the blind or whether it's, you know, I just I just see that they don't have a direction, at least they don't have a direction that I believe is effective. So I'll give you a bit of background on how I solve the, the, that frustration for myself. When I started out in the early 80s and people just wanted to know about strength training, because strength training was a new kid on the block in the 80s and no one knew anything about it. So 
I started providing that as a service and then I realised that, um, well, I realised I started providing flexibility with it because in my opinion, you don't do one without the other. It's a recipe for disaster to do one without the other, which is, which is ironic because 30 years later, that's exactly what's being promoted. So then I was watching the, the, the speed training be implemented and seeing how that was ineffective and hurting the athletes. Uh, so I said, no, that's not good enough. So I, I solved that problem. And I saw the, the way fitness being conducted and that was undermining everything we did and especially in team training, so I solved that. There's still a problem though, there's still a problem of the way the coach coaches the team and the coach, the way the coach creates culture, etc. So I ultimately solved that and when, we, when I managed to manage all those areas then we have a winning, winning outfit and we have a consistent winning and there are many athletes around the world that know what I'm talking about because they were in that culture with me. So the next challenge is educating other coaches to be able to reproduce that 80% plus success in, in the win-loss ratio. So I've said about in the last uh, decade and plus of really focusing on refining the art of teaching coaches. I'm not talking about physical preparation coaches. I'm talking about teaching coaches how to succeed in sport. And it doesn't matter whether it's a coach of Johnny down at the under sixes or, you know, I don't know what to call it in, in America, a few different equivalents, Mike. What's, what's the Pop Warner League and then there's a, probably the equivalent in baseball? Um, or whether... You've got Pop Warner, you've got Little League, you've got Farm League. Um, got for every, every sport, there's some kind of youth developmental program. So whether you're talking to a, a dad or a mum coaching their kids at under six level right through to professional ranks, every single coach can improve what they're doing. But they probably won't because A, they're not looking, B, there's no expectation that they would go looking. So you know, I'm sitting there on the weekend and I'm watching a team and I'm watching this team. It's fourth game in a row I've watched this team, four weeks in a row, uh, which is enough to see a pattern and I've came based with conclusions. And they lost the game, they lost the game on the weekend, which cost them the championship. And because you know, in, in their competition, they only have to lose one game and it's all over. And I can see them all struggling to understand why, and there was a blame the referee um, excuses and all that sort of thing. And I, I just, you know, I was just virtually speechless. I was emotionless and speechless because I could have told them in advance the flaws that were there and what they were doing that were going to undermine them. So I'm going to run over a few examples just so you, the listeners to this call can take away some examples here. The bottom line is, this is what we teach. This is what we teach in KSI. This is what we teach at the higher level. Uh, a number of you coaches have been with me where we've consulted the coaches to guide them to, to, to great success in sport. I've been consulting the coaches at the elite level for quite a few decades now. I've had some conversations which over time I'll probably talk more about that nobody knew went down that changed the direction of, of the results in that sport, at least temporarily. And that's in a variety of sports. But let's go with this example, and, and this is not a high-level sporting example. This is a, this is a, a junior sport involvement example. So this is something that's pretty common to, that any coach could apply anywhere in the world in any sport. The first thing I'm going to talk about is teamwork. In team sports, if teamwork isn't endorsed, reinforced, promoted placed as the number one objective then the team will not succeed against a team that plays as a team. Now before I get into the specific examples here, do any other any of you coaches have a, a, something you can relate to in what I'm saying? Definitely. It comes down to the concept of a, 
you know, the champion team versus the team of champions, and the the some the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So I've definitely seen that, and that's something culturally that you build up over time, and some people destroy over time depending on what part of the cycle you're present in. So there's a great example that I saw on the weekend, and where. Sorry, someone else got a comment? So, we're talking about basketball. I'm, I'm sitting here, fourth game in a row, same team. And I noticed from the, from the first game of the, of the season that the star forward would take the ball up from the baseline and go and score all by himself. I'm thinking, OK, great player, playing against low-level players, fantastic, but that's not going to work against better players and a better team. So, there's no use of the full team. In fact... Even when there is someone in a better position to shoot, it's not used. Now, you could say, well, that's just the athlete, the athlete's just being you know, themselves and all the athlete's just doing things, etc. But that's, that's rubbish. It is a coaching direction. It is a coaching culture. It's a team culture where the star is allowed to overplay their hand. Now, that's really good for the star, get their stats up. And it's really good against weak teams because that one person can dominate the opposition by themselves but it will fail against a better team with a better team culture. And that is exactly what happens. The strategy of this team was to star one or two players, dominate possession of the ball, and score by themselves. And that strategy failed from the start of the first quarter. And everyone was scratching their head and beating their chest and banging their head against the wall. They didn't know what was going on. It was real simple. They weren't taught to play as a team and when they played a, a good team, they failed. It's an unsuccessful strategy. So that if you're not reinforcing team play, even when team play doesn't appear to be needed, even when superstar Johnny can do it all by himself, if you're not reinforcing team play all the time, you will never fulfill the potential of the team in team sports. And the ego of the individual or the failing of the coach to understand this concept will undermine the ultimate success of a team. They will underperform. And this is a very common flaw in coaching in sport. Anyone got a comment to add to that one? Sure. It's just not the, the short term either. It's the, the effect it will have. So against the lesser teams, the other players on that team are going to obviously have a, the effect that they're not good enough. So then when it comes time to play... Obviously, they want to have that confidence to, to step up when need be, whereas when you work on developing the skills, um, controlling the possession, and, and they, like you said, the teamwork, and they can fill their role, that'll make the stars look better anyway, and the team will be far more successful. It's just unfortunate that that's the common case in most sports from you know grassroots up. It's uh, unfortunately the reality. Which, you're right. I think there's a, a ripple effect there that happens as well, Ian, Set, you set forth the culture, and the culture often stays even even when a coach is gone. Uh, it makes more work for an incoming coach if, the, if that incoming coach even realizes what's happened. Uh, and it's also developed, especially in youth sports, as each one of those athletes goes out and goes to another team in their future development, they've, they've in essence, for lack of a better term, brought that disease along with them. To, uh, to other teams, and, it, and it, it can propagate. And that's a really powerful point, because that is exactly the situation in this team. This team 
is part of a hundred year plus organisation. And I suggest that this cultural attitude of let Johnny dominate, let Johnny play by himself, let Johnny be the star, let's pat him on the back for how good he looks against weak teams, is a cultural bias that has permeated every sport for the full century that this organisation has been in place and it's only the newer sports of this organisation that appear to have, have any sign of breaking away from that cultural tradition. So we're talking about a massive cultural tradition and the longer it's been going on for, the harder it is to change. And it's amazing that such a culture could permeate 100 years of sport. But in my opinion, in my hypothesis, and there's a lot of evidence to support it, that's exactly what's happened. Which brings me to my second point in my keys to success for coaching in sport. When a team treats players as some as better than others and gives them more time on the ball or more time on the court, then the bench is weakened. You see, it's beyond doubt that there's a, there, there is a discrepancy of skill, discrepancy of other characteristics or variables from top to bottom of the team roster. That's without a doubt. But the purpose of, and the goal of great coaching is to raise the standard of the bottom end so they perform like the top end. And as such, you should not be able to see that discrepancy. Now, a poor coaching environment, a poor coaching environment, a poor culture will reinforce the inadequacies of the weaker. And when the benches are required upon, when the reserves are, are called upon, they appear to let the team down. Now, if the culture is successful, if the culture is what I call optimal coached culture, when there's an injury, the team does not miss a beat. There's no drop-in standard of the team play. When the bench is on, there's no drop-in standard. So when I see a team that is, whose performance is negatively affected by an injury, I don't care if it's the star player or not, the standard should not drop. The team culture of how the game is played should stay the same. And when reserves are brought on, the team culture should not drop. And when they do, through injury or substitution, if it drops, you know that the culture of the team is suboptimal. And that's exactly what I watched on the weekend. Because it reinforces the culture of the, of the team that I watched the weekend, reinforces that Johnny's the best player and the others are inferior. They get less court time, they get punished more for making mistakes, and they feel inadequate and they feel the pressure. So this is a really important point where you can determine successful culture. Now, I've contributed to creating cultures in teams where even with significant injuries or substitutions, the team has not dropped and they've gone on to win the championship. And I'm talking about influencing them even when I wasn't directly responsible for their day-to-day -day activities. Like you can still shape those things from a distance. Therefore, as a coach on board, that should be your goal. Your goal should be to empower the bottom end of the team so that when they play, your team average performance does not change. And I can assure you, we're talking about sporting performance of 2% or less, only because this concept is not understood and not applied. Any of the coaches got something to say on that one? Yeah, it's a very rare thing, incredibly rare, and a lot of people may have a challenge in internalising and understanding it because it is such a rare, um, a 
rare thing to happen because everyone loves a winner and everyone loves putting, patting people on the back, but there's not too many people that will help someone that needs help, particularly in a team sport environment, not the star player or, or playing group, to assist the, 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 the ones who aren't yet the stars or have the potential to be stars um, to become that. So it's a, it's a, there's so many dynamics um, involved in doing that. And today, in today's world, with so many people responsible for different components of coaching, particularly within team sports, um, you know, no one really has control. No one really knows who's doing what because everyone wants their piece of the pie. And it's, a, it's something that, you know, probably won't in the mainstream be able to be implemented, you know, in, in, in a big way anytime in the future. And I agree with that completely. And, and that most will just reject that concept. It is so foreign. And more than that, it is, a, it is the, probably the, of the two that I've presented so far, that is the harder one to develop. And that was the one you need more, more guidance and more education on how to develop. Because there has to be some sacrifices in the early days and there have to be some acceptance of the inferior players dropping, dropping the, you're making mistakes until they gain the confidence to play up to the standard of the higher end of the team. So there's actually a little bit of sacrifice that has to be made along the way to reach this. And that's another reason why it's not going to be uh, successfully implemented by many teams. Now, I'm going to bring a third concept to the table, and it'll be one that people can probably relate to a lot more easily because it's objective. And that's a concept of trust and support. Now, if the coach takes their frustrations out on the player for any failings, then the player feels the pressure of the coach and is more likely to fail when they under pressure of, a, of a, say, a, a championship game or a better team, etc. You see, there's a number of directions pressure comes from. That comes from, the, the, from internally. The player himself puts themselves under pressure. It comes from parents when they're young athletes. And when, when they're older athletes, it comes from their fans. And then thirdly, it comes from their teammates and fourthly, from their, from their coaches. So the pressure can come from a lot of different directions. And it's the management of this pressure and expectations that can determine the success of the team. So if a coach doesn't know how to handle their emotions, if a coach doesn't know how to, to, to select their words carefully, it, could, it can totally cruel a player's ability to perform under pressure. And the greatest litmus test for this in a game of basketball is the free throw line. It's the same in any sport where the athlete is executing something where the whole world stands still and they watch them. Whether it's a soccer player taking a penalty kick, whether it's a rugby union, rugby league player taking a shot at goal, a penalty or a conversion kick, or a kicker in American football. But the free throw line in basketball for me is a classic. And you only have to look at the stats. And this is one of, the, one of those times that stats are really relevant to the discussion. Have a look at the stats. And I watched this team on the weekend shoot at about 10%. And I can tell you that will be their lowest percentage all year. They're playing their hardest team and they're having their lowest percentage shot. Now, they lost the game by five points. They would have won that game by 20-plus points if they'd had their average conversion from the free throw line. So what is it? that a team's lowest conversion rate from the free throw line occurs against a team that's the, that they feel the most pressure against. Because it's got nothing to do with it. There's no defence in the free throw line. Uh, the first two shots, if there are two shots, are totally free shots. So the skill level and the team ability of the opposition have got nothing to do with it. 
Why does this team fail at the three-throw line in the game they needed it the most? Because that's exactly why. The, you can tell the, the management of pressure by the coach on the statistic of the free-throw line in basketball and any other similar act in any other sport. And it, it reinforced my, or, or to me, it proved my, uh, and this wasn't even a, th- a hypothesis that I may going because I wasn't close enough to the coaching circle to hear the words being used and to see that. But it confirmed to me that the, the, the dynamics and the communication between the coach and the players was such that the players felt the pressure under the, to perform under the pressure of that team. Simple. And other factors that reinforced that for me was the, the way the coach didn't use his bench very much because they didn't trust his bench and the players in the bench didn't feel confident, maybe didn't perform well. And then it was that cyclist continued. Now, on the other hand, the coach on the other team, and this is a phenomenal, beautiful um, uh, dichotomy in terms of watching two coaching styles. The coach on the other, on the other team threw his bench on, completely had his bench on halfway through the first quarter. So you'd say that all team played equal time. He sat in his chair most of the time, sat relaxed most of the time, and the team only having leading by a narrow margin the majority of the game, but he was relaxed and sitting in his chair. His team dropped from the free throw line probably between 60 and 80%. Somewhere around 70-80%. So... My final point in this very brief overview on some keys to coaching success is how you manage your emotions as a coach and how you place expectations. And the the key to that, in my opinion, is telling, listen, whatever you do out there, I'll back it. I'll back you 100%. You make a mistake, not a problem. What you do out there is yours. You want to do well, you do well. If you don't want to do well, you don't mind. Not an issue. And that's a coaching philosophy that I know very few coaches would be able to take on because coaches see a sporting performance as an extension of their own ego. And and, unless you can separate that and understand that your coaching role is there to empower people, not to feed your own ego, then you're probably never going to succeed as a coach to the fullest ability anyway. What do I reckon, coaches? Got anything to add to that? Go ahead, Mike. Going back to my earlier comment on on the ripple effect, and just what you said in terms of trust and support and managing emotions, the mismanagement of, of those two traits, those two characteristics, um, would lead a team to implode. Because what happens is there's a there's a, a fair amount of finger pointing that happens, and then you you don't just create distrust between the team and the coaching staff. You, you create trust or mistrust. Uh, amongst the team itself and it'll become like a reality vote you off the island kind of tv show uh, exactly mike and that's that that's exactly and it it, it started on fall during the last few minutes of the game one of the bench players says to another one of the players oh what's the score and the other player turns and barked at him and said it doesn't matter you're not on the court so it's got nothing to do with you now, what kind of shitty-ass comment is that? But that's an example of the implosion that you're talking about that occurs within the team as a result of that dynamic. That's a fantastic point, and that's exactly... So the next week or two, from an observer's point of view, I'll be able to watch and say, you know, how much is this going to unfold? 
You know, how big are these cracks going to get? Is it going to turn into, a, a, like a, into, a, into an earthquake-like chisholm in the ground that's going to swallow them all up? They're all going to th- throw the refrigerator at each other and, as you said, try and vote each other off. And that's the typical outcome. Someone else had a point? I was just going to suggest that emotional intelligence these days in this, you know, beyond the year 2000, is yeah, a lot of people, and you've taught us this very well, that you look outside within the industry you're in to move forward and that highlighting the importance of emotional intelligence is critical to succeed in any endeavour in life. And when you look at sport, um, particularly if the, the coach is lacking of emotional intelligence, it would take a very strong player or group of players to implement having appropriate emotional, optimal emotional intelligence uh, when the heat is on. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. And that's where the, the journey to success in coaching is a long and holistic one, to say the least. You know, I, I, had the, I had the pleasure of sitting on the on the sidelines and in, in the basically um, on the reserves bench for about six years at the national league level and watching coaches in basketball uh, perform, act, watching their dynamics up close. One of the greatest uh, examples uh, really taught me a lot was watching a team where the the team was down twenty eight points, and that's a pretty big margin. And the coach just sat in his chair calmly and didn't do a thing. And I was intrigued by that. You know, that team went on to win. It was a phenomenal example of emotional control by a coach, and I'll never forget. It's one of those moments that just burn you forever to watch how that coach handled his emotions, because it's really rare. So if you've got anything further to add to that, coaches, certainly pipe up. Definitely. We mentioned about the, the team and the culture. Whereas a winning team or a successful team, if we even take the scoreboard out of it, they'll, they'll play and put themselves, they'll sacrifice themselves for the team, whether that be on the bench, whether it's putting their body on the line. And it'll create great success and that momentum in the team and that culture. So everybody's playing for the, the bigger picture. There are the team of champions versus the championship team, whereas beautifully illustrated in contrast with the, the coach playing everyone, which as you mentioned, we won't touch on it too greatly, but from a, a younger athlete perspective, it's fantastic. They've all got at it like equal court time, great for their development, versus the short-term instant gratification need to win now, regardless of how we do it, and yeah, watching how it all implodes. So classic, very, very common, but um, a, a great example and a great lesson. Or ideally, anyone listening to the call will look on that, take those lessons, apply it to what they do themselves, and if they're in a coaching role, apply that to and that's, that's one of the, the greatest, I guess, um, challenges I have. I, 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 I sit here and I watch all this sport happen. You all sit there and watch all this sport happen. And I've developed concepts, uh, strategies, educational content for coaches to take them to a higher level, to help them fulfil their potential as a coach. But the reality is most of them aren't going to use it. Most of them don't, don't even want it. Most of them, it just seems to me to be, at this point in, in, in coaching history, an absolute lack of desire to become a better coach. Now, am I being too critical? That's exactly what I see as well. In coaches that will give things lip, lip service, like Mike was saying earlier, that you know winning is their goal at the at the beginning, but they don't know how to do it, or they're just not interested in it. It's what I come to the conclusion of. See, I just 
it just hurts me to watch an athlete put it on and work and work and work and train and train and train to fail. It just hurts to watch. And I, I can name so many sporting cultures and sporting teams that are the hardest working teams on the, on the, in, their, in their sport but fail the most. And it's hurtful to watch. Now we're going to have when I see it often when coaches, uh, you know, the clock strikes end of the day, so they're going home, whether the athlete was taken care of or not, or the team needed, or was where they needed to be. It's just, it's time to leave. I've got to go home. We'll talk to you later. And uh, there's just that no focus that really truly being there for them like you said empowering the individuals and making everyone around them better that it just seems to be a clock in clock out and i've done my job so i really don't have time to get better to win and that's one of the contributing factors to to the failure of what is it the epidemic of let's not bother about getting better you know, we're going to be coming together in Park City for our 11th time in a row in a, in, in a week or two's time. And we're going to be sharing these keys to success in coaching. And we're going to impact many coaches in the region. We're going to have positive impact, at least in the short term, on these coaches. And some of them who attend our coaching program will get a significant impact. In fact, um, Mike, we've run some coaching programs up there that have been that are aimed targeted completely at, at, at coaches of sport, not physical coaches, but coaches. Mike, you, you know, we won run. I think we ran run up there just earlier this year. What was the impact of that, Mike? The impact was massive. Uh, the feedback that I got from the coaches here—they came from various sports, anything from uh, anything from softball to football, uh, girls and boys sports, obviously. Uh, the feedback that we've gotten is that it's made a lasting impact on them as individuals, uh, and as as a result, again going back to that ripple ripple effect, uh, that their coaching has changed the lives of the people that they that they're working with. And that's our goal. Our goal is to change lives. We don't change lives by meeting our emotional needs in the first instance. We change lives by empowering people to fulfil their own potential. And we can only fulfill the potential of other people after we fulfill our own or as we fulfill our own potential. So we offer coaching programs, mastery of coaching, the art of coaching. We offer a number of programs to coaches. We've gone beyond physical preparation. We've certainly gone beyond the personal training industry. We're going to the entire coaching fraternity, any any, any sport, coaching at any level can be enhanced by exposing to the educational content that I've developed and we teach through KSI. Now, I find that at this point in time the most powerful thing we can do because the head coach control has the greatest impact on controlling the entire environment. So, as we wrap... Sorry, Ryan? Sorry, just if I could add there, I mean, the, an impact you had here with a group uh, of parents was huge as well and changed... How they the whole dynamics of their family and how they approach their children in sport, and then also how they approached a team training environment and how they could evaluate the coaches that were working with their children. And they talked about the impact to to this past week, uh, how that that change helped them so much in communicating with their children and, and each other and help 
And to their credit, they turn up and they took the benefits. The reality is parents' coaching are a massive part of junior coaching program. Massive. In fact, I think the only thing that separates an amateur coach from a professional coach is one's getting paid. There's no in- inference or, or correlation between their competence, per se. So we will do a lot of work, especially with our Child of Champion program, where we work with the parents, helping them fulfil the potential of their children not fulfill their own ego, but again, the potential of their children. So it's a massive service we offer in relation to the parent's role in a child's sport, in their children's sport, as well as any teams that that parent might be coaching. So parents will play also a massive role. So we've had some great seminars where we've had dedicated groups of parents, and then we've had seminars with dedicated groups of coaches, and then some were a combination of the both. But the bottom line is, anyone interested in becoming a better coach... I guarantee you, you will take something away from being involved in our coaching program. And this is not about selling our coaching program. This is about me wanting to find a way to help these athletes who are working so hard and not getting the results. It just, you know, I, I just reach out to the athletes and it hurts. It, it, it's, not, it's not right. Now, we're only one person, we're only one group, we're only one organisation, we're only a handful of coaches, there's only so much we can do but at least we're reaching out. And if people choose not to participate, that's their choice. And I just hope my child and the, and the kids that I care about, in fact, I hope no kid ever gets put with a coach who's not committed to fulfilling their potential as a coach so they can fulfil the potential of their athlete. So that's it. my challenge to you as coaches, to fulfil your potential as a coach so you can f- fulfil the potential of the athletes that you impact upon. I know that's a really big expectation it's a very very high vision or very high goal but we're starting somewhere and we're definitely starting uh, the next impact we'll have is in Park City in about a week's time and all our coaches are impacting coaches around the world so you know I, I know I've just got to go out every day and watch sport being executed in a way that you know, leaves the athlete wondering well well sport must be about losing so much Sport must be about getting injured. Sport must be about feeling worse about myself. Sport must be about being belittled by my coach or my colleagues in my team. You know, there must be athletes going away from sport with so many negative experiences and memories of sport. It it doesn't need to be this way. So I I know I've got on my soapbox a little bit today, but, you know, I've just uh, watched again, and I say again, uh, another sporting team fail uh, in terms of the school board in a way that was completely preventable, completely manageable and in a, in, in, in a way that in reality they probably won't change and nothing will change and nothing will be done about it and the lives of those athletes will never be better off for being exposed to a better way so I trust today's call has been available to everybody uh, some pretty clear points I believe in the call and, and also exposing the opportunity that you can go on and learn more uh, through our coaching programs that are genuinely aimed at giving every athlete the opportunity in the world to fulfil their potential. Thank you. We'll talk.